Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the third time I'm recording this intro. It's just still one of those type of days. Uh, David Morrissey and on the line down in New Jersey is Jake Middleton. Austin Owens could not be here today. He is in Calgary, Alberta, probably celebrating the fact that Mike Babcock just got fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sheldon Keith is replacing him. No surprise there. The surprise, in my opinion, Jake, is that I thought this firing could possibly happen on sat on after the game on Saturday. It's like the Sunday. It ended up happening after the game against Vegas, where I thought they actually played better in a way than they did the last few games. Are you surprised? I know you're not surprised about the firing, but are you surprised that it happened now? Yeah, I'm. I'm it's. I'm definitely surprised by the by the timing. It was just like I was upstairs uh, reading. I was kind of just like reading on Twitter and then I saw Omar say like he got fired and I was just like, what? Cause this for me, this is the second time a long tenured coach of a team I like has been fired just completely out of the blue. And like at first I was shocked. I was like, wow, like they actually did it. And then after like five minutes of like sort of thinking about it, I got, you know, pretty excited about it. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, I think mostly fans are obviously, you know, at this point they were, or leading up to this, they were really upset with uh, Mike Babcock because, you know, you just see things that have not changed over the course of his tenure. And I think it's it kind of just, like, reached the, they reached their peak, uh, especially with this core. Like, Mike Babcock is going to get, like, obviously a lot of, a lot of flack for you know how the Leafs performed in the playoffs and this season in particular but for me I just I just think with the way they're set up especially with the way the GM has constructed this team it it was just never going to work with a coach like him a guy that you know obviously we know his favorites are the guys that are obviously not the most skilled or the guys that work the hardest 
and he he just had a complete clash of philosophies with the GM and in this case the GM won and I think it was the right decision um but I mean obviously it's it's tough tough day for you know a guy like Mike who I think he's he's someone that always wanted to win here kind of sucks that they could never you know not even reach like a cup final or something like that or even win a series because uh, he's a guy that sort of I think wanted to be here was one of the few that embraced the chaos and and sort of you know brought the Leafs back to respectability but I mean he just it just reached his end you know and it was it was clearly wasn't working and players uh, let it be known by how badly they were playing and we'll never know if they gave up on him but you know it certainly looked that way um, I'm not gonna say they quit on him because I. I don't think paid professionals would ever, you know, intentionally quit or try to lose games. But, you know, it, you could tell it was weighing thin on him and especially on fans. And, you know, now it's the Sheldon Keefe era. And I think everybody is, uh, you know, a little shocked. But I think they're happy overall with what uh, what happened this afternoon. Yeah, shock is pretty much the, the best term to describe what has transpired. But in, in a way, I think you're right. You know, I... I do agree that some of the players have looked dejected the way they've been playing, but I don't I, to say a, you know players quit on a team. I don't think that like that's not the right term I think to use. I think there's you know maybe not you know not willing to follow the plan because they don't have faith in the plan. I think that's very true. But a, a good you brought up the thing there is that you know Mike Backlock clearly had his favorites and the favorites were not the talented guys it was the guys who were the blue collar workers in a way in the sense of the team and, and they were definitely not favorites of, of the fan base no, that's for sure definitely not unless they did something that was positive right you know when Zach Hyman you know four checks and at least a goal he'll get all the credit in the world but when he's playing 18-19 minutes a night yeah that's that's I- doesn't rub off well I think that was the that was the sticking point with most fans. I don't think they disliked guys like Ron Hainsey or Tyler Bozak or Connor Brown or Patrick Marlowe or now Zach Hyman, but you know they have to be properly slotted. And I mean, you can't have Patrick Marlowe in Game Seven playing when they're down a goal with four minutes left when he hasn't done anything, or Zach Hyman taking. The- defensive zone draws in game seven with a torn ACL but I mean it is what it is I mean that's every coach in the league you're never gonna have a perfect coach or a coach that you agree with 100% and I don't expect I don't expect Keith to uh you know if he does last five years down the line where everybody's happy with every move he's made so I mean you can't you can't um please everybody but I, I don't think there's an overwhelming uh, disappointment from the fan base, especially with where they're sitting currently, losing six in a row. Exactly. I mean, it's not just the losing the six in a row. It's that it's the same old thing that's been the problem. The penalty kill has been terrible. The power play has been god-awful. And they allowed the first goal of the game in 18 of the first... I think 22? Like 23. I think Odog was saying 18 in a row. I don't know if that's actually true. It's not 18 in a row. Yeah. But 18 out of the, like, for the majority, 18 of the 23, I think they played 23, to allow the first goal. And it's funny because, and Brian Burke was totally right on this. 
which, I mean, I can't believe I, I'm saying that, but, I mean, let's just face it. Brian Burke has been in the game a lot longer than I have. He, he said that if a coach has to motivate the players to play, that's a problem. The whole point of the, yeah. co- the coach is supposed to get the team ready to play against, you know, to go up against whoever their opponent is. And that's totally right. Like, if, if Mike Backhawk has had to spend most of his time trying to get Austin Matthews, William Nylander, um, the guys like that to buy in and be ready for the game, start of the game, then it, it defeats his role. His, that's not, it should not be his role. His role should be, guys, this is what you need to do. Go out, do it, and we should have success. Unfortunately, it didn't seem like whatever he was saying was sinking in because it was the same thing over and over. I guess Brendan Shanahan just looked at this. He probably was asked if the coach was, could have gone relieved at the end of the season, and he decided, no, I want to see how I want to play this out. And he let it and decided it was just enough. He had enough. And listen to him talking and. Austin sent us this uh, this quote, uh, something that uh, he uh, Shanahan said during his scrum. He said, "We're mistake prone on defense. The attention to detail aren't there. Even the explosive offense our team was known for has been missing for a while." So, Jake, my question is, and I had a, I looked it up after the first year with Babcock. So I would say. After the, the tanking year for Matthews, the Leafs' offense was one of the best in the league. This year, it's pretty much average. What happened? I I mean that's kind of that's kind of the the weird thing with the Leafs, especially with Babcock, because he kind of he was never happy with the way they were winning. Like it's it's something where you know most teams are just happy winning. But when you've had, you know, somewhat sustained success, obviously, with three straight playoff uh, appearances and three straight playoff uh, failures, you're going to start nitpicking. And it just wasn't the right thing to do. I mean, I mean, this is an offensive team. And to think that you're going to turn, you know, superstars, offensive superstars into two-way players is just not the way it should be. I mean, obviously, there's there are, you know, there's going to be glimpses and flashes with guys like, you know, Nylander and he'll have a big takeaway uh, or Marner blocking a shot or Matthews with a takeaway or something like that. But I mean, these guys are not natural, like checking centers and, you know, it should not, what he was doing was he was trying to suppress the offense to the point where it would help the defense. And in this case, it just wasn't. And I mean, if you if this is your personnel, you got to be. This is what you have to do. I mean, it's sort of similar to like what the Rockets are doing right now. Like the Rockets, know they're not going to shut teams down defensively. They're going to try and outscore teams. And I mean, it hasn't worked thus far, but they've had definitely more success than the Leafs. And you know, they know their identity. They're just going to shoot threes and take layups. You can hate it, but and it might not work in the end. But hell, they've gotten close enough to the end where. I mean, you can see why they would, you know, maintain that sort of play. And, you know, for the Leafs, the way they're built, they're they're not built to grind teams out. They're not the Islanders. I mean, they got 10 times more talent than them. They got, 
In my opinion, they have three top one, uh, three guys that can score 100 points. They got two defensemen that could get 60 points, and they probably have um, maybe six other forwards that are capable of scoring 20 goals. They have an offensive juggernaut when fully healthy, and I mean, you just have to have, you know, players that fit roles outside of those players. And um, in this case, he was just trying to, you know, teach teach. Uh, trying to teach a tiger that or you know tell a leopard it's a tiger and it's not i mean it was a leopard i mean that's a terrible um (laughs) comparison but i know you're getting at there yeah i mean like at this point we know what they are like they're not going to be guys you like you either have it or you don't it's like looking at a checking center like or for example you look at a guy like um zach cassian like you love the intangibles he brings and you know, you'd love to see him score 30 goals, but he's just not like there's limitations on players. And obviously we have high expectations for players. And I I think the fact that he so clearly outlined and uh, highlighted their um, deficiencies defensively, it's sort of, you know, ruined how well they've been doing offensively. And I mean, Austin Matthews is top 10 in points. I think he's second in the league in goals. And the thing that's, I don't know if this is just a Toronto thing, but I've like a lot of people that I've talked to or seen on the internet, they think they've been like extremely disappointed with how he's played. And I mean, fair or not, you know, there's times where he doesn't dominate games. If you're expecting him to be Connor McDavid every night, you're going to be disappointed. But I mean, he's a guy, he is what he is. He's going to score 50 goals. He might get over a point a game and there's times where he goes missing. And I don't know if it's, you know, more of an effort thing or he just didn't like the coach or something like that. But when you let him be what he is, he can dominate games. And I just don't like the idea where you're trying to suppress a guy that is probably one of the best five-on-five scorers in the NHL right now, if not the best. It's just not what I would do. And they have to embrace it. And I think they're starting to embrace the, you know, the system that Dubas is trying to put out there with the hiring of Keefe, so we'll see. So just to help you out here, so Matthews has 14 goals, which is fifth in the, which has him tied with McDavid and, and Ovechkin. Pasternak has 19. He has oh, wow. tw- he has 27 points in 23 games, so he's over a point per game. That's more than uh, like guys like Jack, let's see, where does that have him in points? Because Leon Dreisel has 44 points. I think that's, yeah, well, those two don't even count. They're just yeah. on a league of their own right now. Um, Austin, Met- like thirty-five is is where Marchand is. That's where I you think, want. I think he's top ten in points. I saw. Uh, Marchand is third, is fourth in points. Matthews is tenth. Uh, now the other thing I want to bring up, I don't know if NHL.com will let me do this, um, but Matthews is clearly a different player at home than he is on the road. Yeah, he has only one goal on the road, 13 at home. Austin Matthews also only played, is only averaging 19 minutes and 50 seconds of ice time a night. It's a lot. That's not nothing. That's not nothing, but (laughs) it's also not what Leon Dreisaitl and Conor McDavid are averaging. As you said, it's hard to compare those guys. Um, Pasenak is playing just under what he is. Well, the set that actually I, I didn't even realize, Matthews is 59% on the draw. I did not know that. 
So clearly, you know, he's doing some things right. And, you know, he's one of those guys that he's he's been criticized for his defensive play. But at the same time, when the defense is in trouble, he's one of the guys that will take a step back and provide an outlet for these guys to get out of the zone. I've noticed that a lot more out of him. So clearly some of the messages that Babcock was trying to preach to Matthews were getting through. It's just... I guess people just expect him to, at what the rate he's being paid, to dominate offensively. Like, as we mentioned, those you know, I I wouldn't again. We're not going to use the the Edmonton guys because those guys are just being thrown out every other shift. I think more so to the level of a Pasternak, Marchand, and Patrick Kane level. I think those are good comparables. I I mean, he said around twenty. I'd put him at like twenty-one minutes. I'd play him and Tavares 20 minutes a night, personally. And, I mean, I did not know he was playing 1950. I thought he was playing a hell of a lot less. But, I mean, he has to be playing that consistently. And, I mean, the thing that, that's annoyed me the most about like the comparisons with players like that is, like, nobody gives a shit what McDavid and McKinnon and Dreisaitl and Patrick Kane do defensively. Nobody fucking cares. Except here. Like, I've never seen that. Like, ever since that stupid fucking question to Ovechkin, where they asked, like, what do they need to do? It's like, okay, great. Like, realistically, Ovi, like, it's not like you're fucking blocking shots and, you know, uh, covering your D, like, D-man. It's like, come on. You had players who fit perfectly, and they fit roles exceptionally well. Once they got Lars Eller, a third-line shutdown center, I mean, they have one of the best two-way centers in the league uh, in Backstrom. I mean, that's how they change defensively. It's not like they had Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and, uh, like, the elite players like that blocking shots. It's just not realistic. No. I mean, I hate this idea where everybody's just like, oh, if you're not like if you're not like uh, Doug Gilmore diving headfirst in front of shots, it's like, you're a piece of trash. It's like, no. Like, get – Get guys that fill specific roles. I'm sure you can easily do that in free agency. And I mean, I, I'm really interested to see how, you know, Keith shapes his roster. I mean, I was going to like discuss this with you, but like, what are, what are like a list of things that you were looking to see happen? Cause I, I, I might have 10 things that I hope happen. And I think a majority of them will come to fruition. Well, okay. And, and the other thing about the Matthews playing time. How many? In, we always forget how many of these games have the Leafs been behind. So it's not like Matthews is being played a lot when the Leafs are tied or, you know, just trying to get established the game. This is a lot of when the Leafs are desperate and trying to tie the game up. I think that also impacts the coach's mentality, where he, he, he would have been uh, fired a lot, lot earlier if he wasn't, uh, you know, if he wasn't playing Matthews a lot in games where the Leafs were tied in those circumstances. So I, I, I think that's the big thing he changed was that he yes, he was playing Matthews and Tavares more. Um, some of the things he didn't change, i.e. the power play and the penalty kill, I think that's what mainly did him in too. You can't be a good team. Oh, the, the penalty kill was the worst. Yeah. It, it's the reason they it's the reason they didn't beat Boston in back to back years. They're like I don't care what anybody says. They were better than Boston both those years. Uh, if they like their penalty kill was like fucking fifty percent. If it's if it's seventy five eighty, 
I think they beat them in five six. Like I, I like people have this massive admiration for the Bruins. Like great, like they got a good system, good coach, good goaltending. But holy shit, you would have. People act like they've won fucking nine straight cups in a row. Like right now, they're a one line fucking team that just is really good on special teams. Like they're not that special. The Leafs had the Leafs went into their fucking building and won what three games or or two? They won two games. I mean, you just can't do that. And what did them in in the playoffs was just that they couldn't kill a fucking penalty to save their lives. And I mean, if that is, I don't really know the statistics for the Marlies at all. Um, I'd hope they have pretty good penalty killing. I'm just really interested to see what kind of personnel he brings up because I think. I think he will make some differences, and I think a lot of people are going to be happy with what what the changes he makes are going to be. Okay, I'm going to look at the, I'm going to look it up right now. It's probably something I should have looked it up beforehand, but you know, we didn't really have a lot of time to prepare for my Babcock being fired. So, uh, penalty kill. Uh, <laughs> the Marlies are in which division? They are in the North Division. He <laughs> he. Uh, not good, Jake. Seventy-eight percent. Are they really? Yeah. Oh no. That's not good. But their power play is at twenty-one percent. So. Okay. Their their power play is among I mean the best in the league is San Antonio, and uh, Stockton, which is funny because the Flames are absolutely trash right now. Um, that's the part, that's the next part I was gonna bring up. Yeah, we know that Keith has a lot of history with the guys on this team already. So that, that helps already having that established relationship. But he doesn't have a relationship with Austin Matthews or John Tavares. Like he doesn't have relationships with a lot of the veteran leadership guys. So what does he do to kind of get them on board with what he's trying to do? I mean, at this point, you just – I mean, if I'm him, I'm going to these guys and I'm saying, listen, you're going to have to carry this team. I think that's another issue that they had was they were trying to get like contributions from every line, which was just stupid. And I mean, you just have to be like, listen, this is your guys team. You're going to be put in positions to play a ton of ice time, you know, first power play. And I mean, if you don't do it, it's, it's on them. I mean, what this does is obviously it puts so much more pressure on the players and the GM. Um, but you know, you also got to say to these guys, like, listen, you're getting paid fucking $11 million. All of you are. Like, uh, Marner, Matthews, and, and Tavares. Like, you guys have to just do what we paid you to do, and that's score goals and put up points. I mean, if they're putting up 100 points each, I don't think anybody's complaining. If they're scoring on the power play, uh, I don't think anybody's complaining. But, I mean, you can't just put a ton of pressure on their shoulders it's just not fair but i don't think they will so yeah i i don't i don't understand this idea that you know it, it is gonna have to again anytime a team whether there's injuries or anything like that your star players have to be your star players we know that's why boston is doing well we know that's why edmonton's doing well colorado I just want to bring up the Avalanche quickly because the Leafs are playing the Avalanche this week. So, uh, good luck, uh, Keith. One of your first – it's the second – they're playing them on the Saturday. One of your first games is going to have to be to figure out a play against Nathan McKinnon. Right now, the Avalanche are without 
Landis Cog and Rantanen. Arguably two of their top five players. And they continue to fire on all cylinders. And the reason? Nathan McKinnon has really stepped up his game. Um, Nazem Kadri has been a big part of that. And then we talk about the blue line. And people talk about, you know, what this team, what the Leafs don't have. You look at this um, Avalanche blue line. I'm going to name off the names. And you tell me if this is a blue line of a team that's top two in the Central right now. Kale McCarr, Ian Cole, Samuel Gerrard, Eric Johnson, Nikita Zadorov, and Mark Barbero. Barbario. Does that sound like a defense of a team that's second in the Central Division? No. No. What? Like, how how does that, and then with uh, Grubauer and Nett, how is, I, I hear people say, oh, Kyle Dubas didn't, you know, he didn't do enough. He didn't get this guy. He didn't get that guy. No, what Kyle Dubas did was he said, I'm going to go all in on our star players, surround them with guys that can provide depth and support, maybe not to uh, the level of what we used to have, but I'm going to, we're going to make sure our star guys are locked in, make them the centerpiece of what we're trying to do, and it's not working. But it, it works for other teams, so guess what? He probably thought our coach is not getting the most out of our players. And that's, I think, what Brandon Shanahan realized, too. So, um, that that is my thought on that. Um, where do you, where do you see? How long do you give until maybe Kyle Dubas has to decide on where the season goes from here? Uh, what what, what are they at? Like twenty five games? They are at twenty three games. I'd say like it's got to be around the trade deadline if they're now. I mean, I fully expect for them to just be better. I mean. Just their record in one-goal games has been horrific. And the idea that they've allowed the first goal... There's no way any other team's even close to allowing the first goal in that many games. Um, I'd say all the way up to the trade deadline. Because um, it's gotten to the point where if you are if you somehow are, you know, worst-case scenario, they're 10 points out of the playoffs at the, at the trade deadline. And... Uh, at that point, you got to start recouping some of your losses on some of the picks they've traded. I don't know if it would be trading Muzzin, but if Barry, you know, isn't going to sign here and there's no chance they're making the playoffs, you got to trade him. You got to trade Muzzin, and I mean, I think they'd be able to get nice packages back for them, but that's obviously not what they want to do. Um, but I'd say up until the trade deadline, they got like 25 games of runway until you know it really starts to you know be real, but. I, I fully expect for them to uh, turn it around here because, I mean, it, it just it, it can't be going any worse than it has right now. So uh, just based on, you know, the law of averages, you'd, you'd assume that they would be better and they wouldn't be in the situation because, I mean, they're what? They're only like... They're 9, five, 10, and 4 right now. But they're, it's not like they're crazy out of the playoffs. They're what, like maybe four points out or something? Um, I only know how they're, they're fourth in the Atlantic right now. So they're out of the playoff picture in the Atlantic division. Fortunately for them, the uh, the wild card, I believe they're out of... So they're 
three points out of the first wild card, two points out of the second wild card. Right now, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia hold those, but which is funny because Pittsburgh. So this is the crazy thing about Pittsburgh. They're plus sixteen goal differential, and they've been without for at times Sid and Malkin. And we've talked about their goaltending. Their goaltending has been able to hold up, but um, yeah, like for as bad as the Leafs have been, they're not down at the bottom yet. Although they have the games in and hand, Latang and Matt Murray, yeah, yeah, and and let's just say the games in hand will uh, will impact that too. Like Tampa Bay's only played eighteen games. They're gonna yeah. pick up some wins. They're gonna get themselves probably back into the. Uh, Although, Atlanta Grace probably end up finishing second. Although they continue to not play well, like they lost again last night to the Blues, I think. So. Yeah, and had a really ugly game. Yeah, but yeah, the the concern here, the big the big thing is the Leafs just need to find a way to win. They they I know we talk we're talking about you know what should they do if they're here should they make trades. They have, I think, a, about a month to really pick things up and try to get things turned around before that even happens. Because we know Kyle Dubas will get ahead on any potential trades. And people are talking about, oh, should the Leafs try to get guys? I'm like, well, who are you going to get? And who are you going to give up? Because you got to give something up because of the salaries. I, I j- that's the part I don't get, is that the Leafs are just so tight to the cap that like, with all the LTR bullshit that they're pulling off right now because they have to. I I just don't know what they're going to be able to do right now to to get to get this thing. It's going to be up to the guys already on the team right now. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean Wait, what were you saying again? I was sorry. No, no, it's good. This, this, I have a question here for you though. This is the question. Do you think, I mean, we know that they they wanted to give Babcock the time. And now I think Sheldon Keefe has a really tough job of trying to come in and get this team playing the way he wants to play. How long do you think it's going to take? And how patient do you think is going to be required to get this right? I mean, completely right. Like you have no idea what that timeline's going to be. I obviously think it will be improved, just because it's just natural. Everybody gets that new coach bump, you know. You you sort of feel like shit that you got someone fired, but you're you're also excited to you know prove your worth. And there's going to be a lot of guys, you know. It, I think there's going to be a bunch of guys that are going to be playing for jobs. Um, I mean, obviously you can tell it how good the Marlies are. They're like ten, two, and three or something. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he completely revamps that whole fourth line. I think that whole fourth line is fucking garbage. Um, totally what crazy. I mean, like, I've I've always in my head thought about, like, the, the things that we want him to do, I think, as a collective as fans. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they already brought up Pierre Engvall, which is one of his guys. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought up a guy like Pontus Auberg, who's having a great, uh, great year, or Kenny Agostino. Um, inserting him on a fourth line. I mean, those guys are not small, and they're also pretty skilled guys. I'm not sure if they could play penalty kill or anything like that, but, I mean, the entire fourth line has... It's basically just six minutes of trying to kill time, which they are failing at. 
Yeah, and like that... Nick Shore is mm-hmm. awful. Terrible. Uh, Frederick Gauthier is awful, and Timashov has been pretty bad since that like opening five to ten games. I wouldn't be surprised if they had you know a completely new fourth line uh, of just guys that you know Keefe's worked with more uh, more recently. But I mean that's that's what I'd like to see. Um, some other things that I think he's going to do is I'm hoping he puts Barry on power play one. I love Morgan Riley, but right now he's playing way too much and it's not working. I mean, you have to, you have to go to Morgan and say, listen, we need to get this other guy going. You know, we paid a pretty big price to get him here. And this is how he gains confidence is by being a power play quarterback. I'd put him on the power play. Um, I would take Cody Cece obviously off that first pairing because he's fucking horrendous. Um, I'd put, you know, maybe like a Justin Hole or a Jake Muzzin on the first pairing. You know, somebody who's more adept and doesn't throw a puck around like it's a fucking grenade. Um, and then from there, I mean, they just have to completely redo their defensive coverages. I mean, I don't even know. I know Mike Kelly and um, I think it was uh, Craig Button who did really good breakdowns on, on the Leafs D zone coverage. And it's been just really bad. So I, I'm sure it will take a while for his systems to, be, you know, sort of, you know, set in and how they're going to work and stuff like that. But uh, I think relatively quickly they should get a nice boom, uh, bump from it. But, you know, I I think he's going to have some good runway and he's going to be given some time. But obviously there's going to be pressure on him to be in the playoffs considering how good and how talented this team is. Yeah. Um... He the thing is somebody asked me is whether Keith can handle the pressure. Technically, he's handled some of it by already be dealing with the Toronto media in a way. I mean, when the Marlies are good and the Leafs weren't good, all eyes were on the Marlies in that championship year. Um, so I think there's that. I, I also I think the big thing is you're right. I think knowing the guys he's worked with, those guys are going to get the first opportunity. So Nylander's going to get you know a I think this is going to be the biggest thing for William Nylander is he's going to have a guy who he knows that he believes in, who believes in him. Because when he was with the Marlies, he was he was really good. Um, I just want to see what what he yeah what he's willing to change up that Babcock wasn't willing to change up. Because you know that Shanahan and Dubas have talked to Keith and just to gauge his brain on what he would change. Um. I know with the Marlies, you know, he's he's used San, like, like a guy like Rasmus Sandin or Sandin on the first power play unit instead of a veteran guy. So maybe, yeah, maybe Tyson Berry gets that. I think Kyle Dubas, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was, LeBr- uh, who mentioned it? I think it was Freeman that said a big part of why Babcock was also let go was because of Tyson Berry not playing to the level that he's expected of. Or he expects him to play, and how the Leafs expect him to play. I think that, like Tyson Berry has made some pretty brain-numbing mistakes, especially last night in Vegas. But he's also not being used in the way I think that is adequate to his skill level. Was I mean I don't really want. I didn't watch the game yesterday. Was he on the third pairing? He was paired with Travis Dermott, so technically that would be the third pairing. And Muzzin was with Hull. And CC was with Riley, so yeah. I mean, you just especially with how talented he is. I mean, this is a guy that you know 
he got Norris votes last year. He had 60 points, and I think it was good for either second or third in the league and point uh, for defenseman scoring. And I mean, you just you have to put him in positions to succeed. I mean, again, obviously he's a really good player, but you know he's not a defensive stalwart. That's not who he is. You got to put him in positions to succeed. That's the thing with all the Leafs players. I think that's the biggest biggest issue I've had in the past, like especially this year, is they do, they don't put their players in positions to succeed. Um, I mean, I feel like everything is sort of a lesson with Babcock. He tries to teach a lesson every single shift, and it's like, okay, stop with the lessons. Like, if it hasn't worked for four fucking years, maybe it's not going to work. And I mean, he's been trying to do that with with uh, Tyson Berry, and just just I mean just by trying to suck out all his creativity and the things that he doesn't uh, or things he does well is not the way to go. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's going to be the big thing is changing up. And I think uh, Justin Bourne mentioned that like Keith likes his defense to be very active in the offensive zone. I like that. I mean, you got guys who like Barry, he's a you no know, offense first guy, Riley, Technically, an offense first guy, but Babcock was trying to use him as a Nicholas Lidstrom, which you can't. This is, I think, the big problem. Or a shutdown pairing and penalty kill and stuff like that. Yeah. I think this was, I think, the big issue with Babcock, too. We talk about what he did well with Detroit. And then I think he tried to translate and get Matthew, like, get Matthews to play Zetterberg and things like, you know, things like that. It's just, He's not Zetterberg. He's he's a goal, you know. No, he's not Datsuk. He's he's Austin Matthews. He's yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's better offensively than both those players ever were. Um, I mean, it, it's just it was a dumb comparison. Yeah, I I think I think that and, and Matthews also. I think Matthews just was done playing for him. I I think we always hear about you know Riley and Tavares were the I mean they were the big. Babcock guys. It's funny because when Babcock, I don't know if you saw that statement that he put out where he thanks uh, Tannenbaum, he thanks Mo, but he doesn't thank Shanahan or Dubas. And it's funny because Shanahan said, our little relationship was good. And it's like, well, I know you, they were the, you guys were the ones that fired him, but how come he didn't say thank you to Shanahan? Because Shanahan was the one that recruited him. Right? Yeah. So, I think there were certain guys, as you've mentioned, as he liked. I think he wanted to turn Austin Matthews into a player that he wasn't, in a way. I mean, like, last year, I think a big part was the injuries. And I also think the other part was the Leafs were struggling. Matthew and Backhawk was trying to change the way that Matthews was playing to be more defensively reliable. Matthews is not a terrible defensive player, but he's not... Patrice Bergeron, he's not that type of player. And we don't want him to be that type of player because we want him to be the Pasternak of this team. The guy that when the puck is on his stick, he's going to make the team pay. I think that's a big thing is we, they got to get Austin Matthews going. They got to get Tavares going. They got to get I mean, Nylander has been probably the, one of their better forwards and I know that's going to make some Leafs fans uh burst into flames but it's it's the truth um yeah so i'm i'm curious and i i'm the part that i'm wondering jake too is they did this after the vegas game or the day after they already had practice 
and then they fire him. So why didn't you fire him after the game or, you know, fly in right after the like talk to him after the game? Why do it after you've already let him have a practice where he seemed like didn't look like a guy that was on the cusp of being fired? Like why? No, the, that? The, the timing to me made made no sense. It completely threw me off guard. I mean, I don't know why. I would have done it after the Pittsburgh game, but uh, and then, I mean, then after that, I was fully prepared for him to just at least ride it out for after this road trip. Um, yeah, it, it didn't make sense to me, but I mean, it's it was something that I mean, I don't, nobody saw coming, but I don't think um, after thinking about it outside of the timing, I don't think it was somewhere you were shocked that he did in the end get fired. All right. Um couple other things I want to bring up here. The people are talking about his legacy in Toronto. What's your legacy of Mike Babcock? I'll let you go first before I go. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people sort of been uh, dancing on his grave a bit, which, um, I mean, isn't right at all. Um, obviously, obviously, when you're in this position, it's a little easier to remember more positive lights. But, I mean... It was frustrating for sure. That's like with every coach, you have frustrations and, you know, they have favorites. And obviously with the Leafs, you he had favorites that nobody really liked with the fan base. And he did things that were just mind-numbing. But, I mean, for him to come here when they were a complete disaster, like they were the worst team in the league, for him to come here was, was a big step in the right direction. It's sort of... I mean, especially considering the shit we've seen for almost 20 years now with where the team is today, um, to think that they're firing a Stanley Cup winning coach who has, you know, won everything you can as a as a coach is pretty impressive considering, you know, when they had guys like Ron Wilson where, you know, we were happy that they were winning games 3-2 while getting outshot 50-20. to um, it's, it's just... When you get that taste of success, it sort of changes everything. And, I mean, it was great. I mean, the, they had the most points they've ever had in a regular season ever. Um, he sort of, you know, changed that idea where, you know, he, he did say, you know, I'm going to get Ontario guys to come back here and play for us. And in the end, he did. I mean, he got the probably the biggest free agent in the history of the team to come back to 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 Toronto. And that's just something that, we never would have ever dreamed out of outside of just, you know, making those uh, fan account jerseys where you, you know, got like guys like Sagan and Stamkos. And every time a big free agent was up for UFA, you'd always link them to the Leafs. But in the back of your mind, you never thought, you know, they ever had a chance until until now. Now he, he sort of made it like a like a a big thing again. The Leafs are a big thing again. And then it's I mean, it's thanks to him. He obviously, you know, put in systems and, you know, brought this team to the playoffs, something that they hadn't done for years. But, uh, yeah, I obviously um, have pretty fun memories of some of the games that he's coached, but um, I don't think it's been a failure. Obviously, he wasn't going to complete all eight years of that ridiculous deal, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's not a complete failure, but I also think that there was a lot of promise 
and you know he talked he talked a really good game like you know he for for the thing is about Mike Babcock is for as bad as things were going at times he never looked anytime uncomfortable like he never he never was sweating he never lashed out to media very rarely did he and when he came here that you know he he was coming at a time where this this Leafs team was broken everything was everything was being questioned there was a lot you know we were talking about like there's a lot of things that need to be changed they didn't have you know they didn't have the first I think they had just gone the first overall pick or they hadn't gone yet no they they had the that was right that was when they had Horacek and they were like fucking two and 30 okay. in the last 32 yes that's right they they had just they lost the lot they had just lost the lottery okay. where they yes. should have gotten fucking McDavid but um, I mean, he took what was his shit job. Like, let's be real. He, it wasn't like it wasn't the most enticing job in the league. No, it was an awful job. They Better had no Buffalo. fucking talent. Their best prospect was William Nylander. Their best player was probably JBR. And I mean, they were shit. I mean, but he saw them for what they are. I mean, you look at the Leafs. If the if this was like European soccer or something like that, where there was no cap. I mean, this is the best job in in the league, like 100%. And he sort of thought of it as like that. Like you see the prestige, you see the amount of fans, uh, the amount of interest that's generated by the team. And he sort of saw them for what they could be, for their potential, not for what they were. And for that, you're obviously appreciative for sure. Of course. And, and for, yeah, I agree. People should not be dancing on his grave. They shouldn't be calling this a complete failure because a complete failure would be that the Leafs never made the playoffs. The Leafs never had a winning season. The Leafs had progress under Babcock. I think that's a big thing is there's progress. There were things moving in the right direction. There's accountability. I think that's the big thing is there's accountability. Um, but at the same time, I think part of that got lost when he when he was refusing to take he's not gonna take blame like he took ownership of what happened this year but he didn't exactly take accountability and be willing to change things up and I think that was what did him in is things weren't changing and you know at some point you have to be able to adapt and he just couldn't adapt so um, and that cost him his job so the Leafs continue their road trip. They will play the Arizona Coyotes, which um, will test the offense because that team is a really good defensive team before they go on to play the um, Colorado Avalanche. So it, And then they play the Red Wings. So they'll have a game on. Thir- so as we're recording, this is Wednesday. They have a game Thursday against the Coyotes, Saturday against the Avalanche. Then after Saturday, they don't play again until the Wednesday against Detroit. So a couple of quick games and then a little more practice time. And I would assume that after the Colorado game, they're going to return home and then go to Detroit for the Wednesday game. So um, Sheldon Keefe has a, has a tough job. Nobody's going to say this is not an easy job, a slam dunk job for Sheldon Keefe. He understands that the pressure is now different on him. He's been waiting for this opportunity too, and uh, I'm curious to see just how much he can uh, he can stir, you know, try to shake things up. Because 
the Leafs definitely need something to change. Um, any other thoughts, Jake, on this uh, going forward? Um, no, not really. I'm just I'm really excited to see what they do for sure. Um, like I said, I want to see I want to see if they do have some turnover. I'm also interested to see if they actually will end up having Sandin or Lilligren play this season. I know I'm pretty sure one of the reasons why they sent him down was because they didn't want to burn a year of his ELC. I, I think, well, Babcock says they wanted, after that game against Detroit where Sandin San took a pretty good beating, I think they just, like, he, they, we want to make sure that he's not being uh, thrown into the fire and make sure that he is completely ready. I felt like one game was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but I, I think you will see one of the two up here. I think there's a good chance Lilligren comes up. and he's, I mean, just I haven't really watched the team, but just based on point totals, it seems like he's taken a, another step offensively for sure. And he and I think uh, Keith likes him on the uh, defense. His defensive game has gone better. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see if if we if how much now I think we have to be careful. Is yes, Keith will want his guys, but Dubis is going to have to think about the balance there of which guys. They also on. definitely need to tinker. They need. They need. They need something. They need to add another dimension in their forward core. And I mean, it's not like it's going to be expensive. Like even getting, even getting a guy like we always joke about it. Like even a guy like Kyle Clifford, like someone who who doesn't really even play that much, but he just hits everybody or does something that provides energy for the team because they clearly need it. Like there's nothing that really, you know, nobody on that fourth line that creates a spark or even the third line. Yeah. Um, with Kerfoot out, but I mean, they need that. They need someone who can who can bring that. And I mean, it's people always talk about how it's so necessary. It's not like it's it's a expensive uh, thing to acquire either. No, it's not. It, I think we. I think uh, I think the people who want it overvalue it, and I think the people who don't want it undersell it. I think. I'm I'm more of the middle where I agree it's needed, but I'm not gonna go out of my way to add it. Like I'm not gonna go and spend out my brains like do what Calgary did to bring in Lucic. Um, Especially when it's costing you a player um, like James Neal, who has looked ten times better than um, than Lucic has. Yeah. So I I think. Uh, Keith will maybe he'll tell Kyle Dubas that we need it, and because they respect each other more so. Because also, don't the there's like pretty good balance on the Marlies. Like they kind of have that balance where they're they have some sand. Like I saw recently, they had like a line brawl today or something like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm not asking for them to like goon it up, but I'd like for them to have someone like even one guy that has some sort of jam or or something i mean they can't be a team that's easy to play against that was that was what they were and that's something that they can't be especially if they want to succeed in this league well my uncle messed me he said this is one of the softer leafs teams he's seen in years which is true they're not they're not no no doubt about it it's probably this one of probably one of the softest teams in the history of the nhl yeah uh, i would i would agree with that and 
I think maybe Kyle Dubas got a little too ahead of the talent over everything else, and maybe he's trying to stick it to Mike Babcock a little bit. And I think maybe it's funny because he goes and gets a guy like Jake Muzzin, who's tough as nails, and that's the guy that Mike Babcock didn't want him to get. Apparently, like he was just like, "Well, he's not a right-handed shot." It's like, yeah, but he's a guy that you would love to have on your team because he's tough as nails, and he brings a different element. I think they need to find a trade like that. Get a guy who brings the elements that they don't have. And the problem is they spent it. They, they, that wasn't a cheap deal for Muzzin. No. And I think right now. I don't think they can spend prospect capital. I'd try and flip yeah. like players on the roster. Yeah. Um, I mean, someone who I love, but like a guy like Kapanen is obviously a really good player, but. I mean, he's expendable. They have a bunch yeah. of right wingers and, and a Johnson. lot of similar players. And it's not like he's like a can't miss like all star player. He's a really good player, probably a definite top nine forward. And you know, at times he can score you twenty goals. But I mean, if you can get a different element who's a similar player, maybe not like the exact same as Kapanen, but uh, production wise, then I would do it all day. Like, I'm there's nobody that I'm. I think the GM is completely attached to outside of the you know the, the top, top top guys who four guys let's be honest they would be very hard to see them moved well it's hard to see them move because of what they're being paid as well like yeah so i i think you're right i think dubis has to realize that there's guys on this team that he has to move out because they they like yeah captain at three million dollars i'm not really seeing it right now there's stretches there are stretches where he does it, but then there's times where it's just like he's doing more harm than good at times. Like right now, Tavares is struggling, and he's not exactly helping, although I think yesterday was one of their better games where he's, Tavares has looked a little more noticeable. But I think you need, yeah, you, you need guys with a different jam. I would say guys like Kapanen, maybe Janssen just because of what he's being paid and you know, you wonder if somebody else, if they can get someone else for him, they'll do more of what you want. There's no one in the bottom nine you're trading, I think. I mean, other than Kapanen that can really give you that. Because there's no one in the fourth line or on the back end that's going to, you can trade to do anything there. No. Unless you trade. I also wonder if, the, I, I, I brought this up. I know you think it's impossible. That Cody, that Cody CC can't play for this team. I mean, if Keith is able to to make him a serviceable player, I mean, if they could dump him for fucking anything, I would like a warm body. That's four. That's four and a half million. I I said the I wrote this tweet last night, just whole like just half jokingly, that the best thing about Cody Cece is that he's a free agent after this year. Yeah, it is. And it's the truest and, thing. Yeah, everybody. I I didn't really know, but apparently, like the only way that that they could get rid of Zaitsev was if he was taken back. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's failed obviously, but it's not like it's it's not like he's on term or anything like no. that. So they should just wipe their hands with him at the end of the season and be done with it. But yeah, we'll see. Well, just in case, I'm gonna leave this last part here open, just in case we add anybody else to the podcast later tonight. If not, uh, we're gonna end it there. Um, Jake, thank you again. I know that yeah, bringing you on last minute is a t- is tough, but. Uh, with, no, it's fun. Uh, Finally, have something to talk about. No more speculation. No more speculation. It has been done. The Leafs have traded 
traded. They at least have fired Babcock. Most likely, he'll get a job. I would say right now, if we were going to put our bets, Detroit or Seattle. Detroit? No, I wouldn't say Detroit. Why not? Because I don't think Blashell is going to stay. I don't. I I don't feel like that that relationship ended on harmonious terms by any means. Well, I was going to say Seattle or San Jose. Ooh, San Jose wouldn't be a bad one for him. I think San Jose would be a perfect fit because that's like a veteran-laden team, and I think it would fit a lot more for Babcock. Because I mean, it clearly, if you have a bunch of young, impressionable players who are not, you know, defined in their roles, it's not going to work. I mean, people have thrown out New Jersey. That's another one I could, uh, I could see. I don't think it would be a right fit. I think. I think the perfect fit for him would be San Jose or Seattle. I think for Seattle because he can build his team, right? Like yeah. he has a blank canvas and obviously he's had success. I mean, anybody that says like he's over eight or anything is an idiot. I mean, the guy's got like what? 600 wins. He's been to th- like three or four Stanley cup finals, won multiple gold medals. I mean, he had, obviously he has something that works. That's why he's so stubborn. Um, uh, but like, I just see it was not a proper fit with the personnel on this team. I think Seattle would be perfect. I don't know if he wants to wait a year. Obviously, he can with the money he's being paid, but I think the only realistic job he should take would be the San Jose job, but we'll see if if, um, if Peter DeBoer gets fired. I think considering what San Jose has uh, on the line, a first-round pick that – Right now is looking like uh, where are they? Like when I looked, they were they're like tenth, I think. They're they're in trouble, like big trouble. Like in the Pacific, they are. Ooh, they're second last in the Pacific. They're so, awful. They they played um, they played the Oilers last night. They got slapped around. Yeah. So five two lost to the Oilers. The last like they beat in the Red Wings, the Ducks. They did beat the Oilers six three. But, yeah, I mean, then they got slapped 5-2 last night. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's going to be a team that's going to want him. And... Oh, he'll get any whatever job he wants. If yeah. it's if there's an opening, he'll be the first candidate for it. Yeah, it's kind of like Joe, Joe Quinville. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Um, if we get any other people on to give their reaction, we will give them that chance. Uh that being said, thank you guys for listening to the Tip of the Tower podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you guys later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.